morning. Morning. Wednesday, feeding the homeless. The next women's study is June 1st. Next men's study is Saturday, June 3rd. Youth night, 25th. The marriage retreat is coming up in October. I think it's almost sold out though. And sign up for email updates or go to the website, thechurchne.org, and you can see the calendar, figure out what's going on. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to learn about you, to worship you, to set apart our lives for your service, for your work. I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would lead us, you would guide us, that you would protect us, and that your words would be spoken here this morning, not mine, that you would watch over this fellowship, that you would keep us safe from the enemy, free from harm. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. this area mostly talks about rest. So we're going to define what rest is. We'll get started. Hebrews chapter 4, starting here in verse 1. <coughs> Today we're going to be reading out of the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 edition. You'll be alright. You can follow along with yours. They're fairly close. A few minor differences. That's all. I just want to keep you on your toes. So Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore we must fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have good news preached to us, just as they also did. But the word they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united with those who listened in faith. So this area is talking about rest, talking about entering into his rest. There's a couple different when we look this word rest up in the Greek, there's, it's used a few times. Rest in the English version is used 300 times in the Bible. But this word in the Greek um, is used about 10 times in the Old Testament and about that many in the New Testament. And it means various things. It's talking about an eternal rest. It's talking about a Sabbath rest, a holy rest. It's talking about taking a rest, a day off, and we'll get into what are we talking about resting from. 
So, the writer of Hebrews is concerned that there's some people who have heard the good news but have not received it. And if you don't receive Jesus, you're not going to receive this rest that he is talking about. So, continuing on here in verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So God has set all of this up. God knew the plan when he created the world. He knew what would happen. And he knew how he would respond to all of those actions. Each one of ours. There's nothing that's caught him off guard or by surprise. But for we who have believed, enter that rest. So I think that there's the eternal rest, right? The eternal paradise in heaven when we believe in Jesus. We'll be entering into that rest. Not that we're just going to lie around the beach and do nothing. But there'll be a job for each one of us, tasks for each one of us. But it won't be toiling and working like it is now. It'll be in God's rest. There's the talk of the Sabbath day of rest. Um, but I think right here, what he's referring to is the rest that comes from letting God lead and guide our lives, right? So when he says that they swore by his anger that he would, they would never enter into his rest, that could be his eternal rest, that they're obviously not walking in his Sabbath day of rest but the, the rest that God is leading and guiding their lives. And I think one area that we can look at that relates to this is in Matthew chapter 22. This one we'll read out of the New Living Translation so you can follow along. Is that good? You happy with that? <clears throat> so Matthew chapter 22, starting here in verse 1. Jesus tells the parable of the wedding dinner. Jesus also told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of, taking, of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Does that sound familiar? A king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. God is the king. His son is Jesus. Maybe it's who he's talking about here. Makes sense. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. Not just some, but all of them refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. So here he's talking about the religious leaders, the Jews, the chosen people, God's chosen nation, that when they God invited them to the banquet, to the 
to the wedding feast for his one and only son. They rejected it. They were busy. They had to go to work. They went to their farms or to their businesses. Uh, then they seized the messengers that were trying to get them to come, the prophets, and they killed them, right? This makes sense, the story that Jesus is telling. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out into the street corners and invite everyone you see. So inviting everyone would be like opening it up to the Gentiles, everyone else that wasn't a Jew. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to meet the guests, he noticed that a man wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet, throw him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few were chosen. So the man that comes in his own garments, when you got invited to a wedding during this time, they sent you a wedding garment. You had certain clothes you were going to wear. So the man that comes in his own garments is like saying he gets to come to God his own way, right? There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. The Bible makes that very clear. There's only one way to belief in God, and that's believing in his Son, Jesus. There's only one way to paradise, and that's through his son, Jesus. There is no other other way, right? So when you come dressed in your own clothes, you're saying, oh, I can come to God my own way. I can choose how this works, but it's not for us to choose. God's already set it up, right? From when he created the, the world, he had it set up. He knew what he was going to do. Does that make sense? So... He's furious that they're not going to enter into his rest. But what happened? They rejected him first, right? Was he furious with them before? No. He loved them. He invited them to his son, his one and only son's wedding, right? So he must have had fond feelings for them, must have liked them and loved them. But they rejected him. They went to their farms. They went to their places of work. They were busy, right? They were busy making money busy doing whatever it is they were doing other than worshiping God, other than serving God, other than obeying God, right? Does that make sense? So there is another parable that talks similar about this, not exactly a wedding feast, but it's found in Luke chapter 14, verse 15. And again, this is Jesus speaking. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready... He sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. 
but they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. The other said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant turned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So the master said, Go out into the country lanes, behind the hedges, and urge anyone you find to come, so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. <clears throat> so again, God's chosen people rejected their one and only King, their Messiah, Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And that made God furious. Was God furious with them before? No, we read that he invited them to their, his banquet. And then when they refused to come, he opened it up to everyone else. So does that mean that God's original plan was that he was not going to open up eternity or heaven to everyone else? And I'd tell you, no. We've read that God had this plan from when he created the foundations, when he laid the foundations of the earth, this was his plan that would be opened up to all. Anyone who receives Jesus would have eternal life, right? So just another story, not necessarily a wedding feast, but a great feast but the similar story, the similar teaching, the similar parable that God chose them, invited them. They rejected God. They were too busy making up some excuses like I just bought some oxen. I need to go test them out. I just got me a fancy new Ferrari. I need to go test drive it. I want to go drive around. But they had to go to work. That They got married. I'm married now and my wife said, no, I can't go. They had all kinds of excuses. But that's all they were was excuses. And God was not furious with them before, but was furious with them after. And that they would not enter into his rest. Right? So, we'll continue on. We'll get back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. So Hebrews chapter four, verse four, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they certainly shall not enter my rest. So where did he say that he rested on the seventh day? He said that back in Genesis, right? He created everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, and he sets the example for us to live by, right? Genesis 2, chapter 2, that God rested on the seventh day. So this rest that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is an eternal rest, a rest in paradise, a rest in heaven, a rest for all of eternity. Not that we're doing nothing sitting on a beach, but the work we are doing isn't going to seem like work. It's not going to be toiling. It's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be a rest from many things that we face here in this world. 
But here we read about a seventh day of rest or a Sabbath rest, right? God created everything in six days and on the seventh day he rested, setting the example for us that we are to take one day of the week set aside for rest. And we're not to work, we're not to make money, we're not to do those types of things. We're to set that day aside for rest. A lot of us choose to do that on Sunday. We set aside Sunday for rest. We go, we worship God, we learn about God, and we rest, right? We typically don't go to work. It used to be a lot of things when I was growing up was closed on Sunday. Gas stations were closed. Pretty much everything was closed on Sunday. But then what happened? People had to make money. I could make more money if I open up one more day of the week, right? So, so anyways, that's the rest that he's talking about. And that they will certainly not enter into my rest that's spoken of in Psalms chapter 95, verse 11, if you're interested in looking there. We're not going to go there. But if you want to look it up, you could. So we'll continue on. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who previously had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. So they chose not to receive Jesus. They chose to reject Jesus, and they do not get to enter into his rest. He again sets a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We went over that previously. You guys remember that one? Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So meaning that God is speaking to us every day, and it's our choice to listen and receive that and follow and obey him or not. And it could be in big things or it could be in small things, right? It could be in serving someone else, giving someone that's standing on the corner some money or some food, right? If God puts that on our heart and we can either choose to obey him or choose to ignore him. So today when we hear his voice, we should trust in him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, we'll continue on. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. Consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So Joshua, Joshua was the one that led the nation of Israel after Moses. Moses died, and then at that point, the nation of Israel was allowed to enter into the promised land Joshua led them into the promised land, and there they worked. They were farmers, but they had to conquer the land first. But they didn't always obey God, right? They were one foot in their own selfish desires and one foot following God a lot of times. And so the rest they never received with Joshua, that there was another day of rest, the Sabbath day of rest, again, it's a day for us, one day of the week. It's also an eternal rest. 
Continuing on Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God rested from his. So when we enter into this Sabbath rest, this day of rest, we're to rest from our works by the example God set for us. So how did God live his life? He lives his life being an example to us. How did Jesus live his life here on earth? He lived his life being an example to us. And it's our choice to follow that example or to ignore it, to receive that example or to reject it. Therefore, let's make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience. So we have a choice, right? The Bible is very black and white in everything it does. We can obey God. We can enter into his rest, his eternal rest, his rest here and now, the rest that Jesus provides for us, or we can disobey him and continue on living our lives the way we think is best. But that choice is ours. So I want to look at this word rest. It comes up in a few places in the Old Testament. I just want to look um, at what it, where it comes up and get some context around it so I make sure we understand, which I think we already do. It's an eternal rest. It's a Sabbath rest. It's a rest in this life that we're in now, but not a rest from work, and we'll get to that. So uh, the first one is Exodus chapter 35, verse 2. We're going to go through them all fairly quickly, but they'll all be on the screen. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Pretty serious consequences, right? Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 9. For you have not as yet come into the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. So here we read about a resting place. The first verse we read about a Sabbath rest. Then Judges chapter 20, verse 43. They surrounded Benjamin, pursued them without rest and trampled them down opposite Gibeth toward the east. So they pursued him without rest. They never rested. Day and night they pursued him, right? First Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, in the accordance with everything that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promises, which he promised through Moses, his servant. So he has given his people rest, right? So that's a rest right here and right now on this earth. This talking about a rest from what they're going through. And there's many things. It could be a rest from persecution, a rest from danger, a rest from Hunger, arrest from working, toiling day and night. First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31. Now these are the ones whom David appointed over to serve of the song in the house of the Lord. After the ark rested there, so the ark rested in the house of the Lord. It talks about a 
a home for it, a place for it, a belonging type of rest. Second Chronicles 6.41 Now then arise, Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of you and the ark of your might, let your priests, Lord, O oh God, be clothed with salvation, and let your godly ones rejoice in what is good. So here it talks about God's resting place, a place set apart, right? Where rest can take place. Psalm 95, verse 11. This was quoted earlier. Therefore I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest. God's rest, his eternal rest, I would say is what that's talking about. His presence, eternity with him, paradise with him. Psalm 132, verse 14. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. So again, a resting place, a place of rest, a place away or a place in the amongst of lots going on, but be able to find rest in it. Isaiah 66 verse one. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. The earth, the footstool for my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? So, many different types of rest, right? Do we understand that? There's the Sabbath rest, the day of rest, a holy day set apart for God. Um, There's eternal rest, paradise with him. We still have work that we'll do up there, but it won't be like the work we do here on earth. And then we have this rest of in our lives where we're at, a rest from different things. And those different things we'll go through now. Um, and we'll just touch briefly on a few of them. But this is mostly from Paul. So you get to see what his life was. So when it talks about this rest that he's entering into, he has an eternal rest he's looking forward to. He has a Sabbath day of rest, which I would say Paul probably followed regularly. And then he has a rest in his life that while he's going through all these things, he has a peace and there's a rest that God is leading and guiding him. So Acts 18 verse 3, and because he was one of the same trade, he stayed with them and they worked together for they were tent makers of trade. So when Paul's talking about his labors, he's a tent maker, right? He's also a teacher he is leading churches, he's planting churches, he's making tents. His schedule is pretty full. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. And we labor, working with our own hands. When we are verbally abused, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. So this rest that is being spoken of is from work, but I would say it's also from this abuse that he's facing, this verbal abuse from this persecution he's facing, rest from that. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5, In beatings, in imprisonment, in mob attacks, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, 
this eternal rest. There is none of that. There is no hunger, no sleeplessness. Your labors aren't the labors that you have now, right? Your work that you're doing doesn't feel like work. doesn't feel like it's um, toiling or, or striving. There's no attacks from mobs or imprisonment or beatings in this eternal rest. Well, that still happens here on earth um, for Paul and would continue to happen. Even after he believed in Jesus, he still went through all these things. But his eternal rest would be absent from that, right? Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So he's left out in the cold. He'll find rest from that. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. For you recall brothers and sisters, our labor and hardship. It was by working day and night so as to not be a burden to any of you that we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul oftentimes was working day and night. He often would say that. He would toil and labor day and night. So Paul had entered into God's rest. Paul believed in Jesus, but that didn't mean that he stopped working here on earth. He did lots here on earth, right? He's toiling day and night, laboring, making tents so he could have an income, but also teaching God's word, helping in other churches, setting up churches, encouraging churches, traveling all around wherever God had led him to be imprisoned, to be beaten, to be persecuted, to be slandered, to be um, talked bad about, to be made fun of, to be all these things. But in that, Paul finds rest. So the last place we're going to go is to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. So this rest, all these things that Paul is going through, we read about in the New Testament, there's a rest from that because those things are not in paradise, not in eternity, right? Not in paradise with Jesus. Those things are not in heaven. We have our Sabbath day of rest. There's so much emphasis on making money and, and being profitable are we willing to take one day a week off from that so that we can focus on God, so we can spend time with our family, so that we can reground ourselves mentally and physically? And then there's a rest, a rest in what we're going through. That when we let God lead and guide our lives, we can take rest and comfort in that that he's in control, that he's opening the doors he wants us to walk through, closing the ones we don't, even when it doesn't make sense to us, even when we don't understand it, and even when we don't like it. I can say that in my schedule, it always seems kind of crazy, but things are changing frequently, and God always seems to orchestrate it to where I am right where I'm supposed to be when I am supposed to be there. Sometimes I don't always understand it when things get canceled or get changed, but then it always works out. And so while my schedule can seem hectic, I do find rest that God is leading and guiding in that. And it's the same for each of us. But we'll finish here with Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, 
nor for your body as to what you will put on. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Look at the birds in the sky that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies in the fields grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink? We are... What are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So verse 33 is the most important of all of them. He explains it very well. If you want to enter into his rest, if you want him to lead and guide you, where you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to work, where you're going to live, what clothes you're going to wear, he explains it very well right here. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Your food, your clothing, your jobs, God will provide it all for you when you seek him first, when you follow him first, when you do what he's asked you to do, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't like it, even when you don't understand it. When you seek him first, his kingdom first, his righteousness, when you seek his kingdom first, you're looking to bring him glory. Everything we do, we should bring God glory. Everything that we do, any accomplishment we have, is because of him, because of the work that he's done in our life. And his righteousness is living in right standing with him, right? He lives this example. He shows us Jesus lived the example of the life we're to live and we're to follow that example, that right living. So when we give God glory and we are willing to live rightly for him, for his son, he will provide everything we need. So there is no worries. You have a rest from worry, a rest from fears and anxiety here on this earth. But when you follow and seek him first. And that's where we'll end. Does that make sense? Do you have some questions? Okay. Okay. So...
So those are when we read through the Old Testament, all those verses in the Old Testament, it was like nine or ten verses, those were what I was talking about. Each one of those verses had the word rest in it. Because the word rest is all throughout the Bible. Like the rest of the people should come here. You know, the English word rest. And it has multiple meanings. So, but the, when I look it up in the Greek, that Greek word... And the Old Testament is not written in Greek, but there is a Greek translation. So when I, I look up that Greek translation for the Old Testament, I find that word about ten times. And that's all the verses we went over. We didn't go over all the verses in the New Testament. But, but the word rest, the English word, like the rest of the nation or the rest of the people or the rest of the herd... That word rest for, in the English is used like 300 times in the Bible. But the word rest, meaning his rest, his eternal rest, his Sabbath rest, um, or his rest in this life, that word is used 10 times in the Old Testament and about the same in the New Testament. Does that make sense? Because the, um, the Greek language has more words than just the one for rest. So when I was a kid like your age, everything was closed on Sunday. The gas stations, you name it. Restaurants, nothing was open on Sundays. So it was. But that was when the... Well, that was when our nation took more of a biblical worldview that we shouldn't be working on Sundays. But greed is taking over. Because if you can be open on Sunday, you can make more money. Back in the day. Back in the day. I agree. Back in the day. Any other questions? No. You understand it all? Yep. You can teach this same section next week? Yep. Okay, good. Any questions? No? No comments? No? Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this time to learn more about you, to just learn the importance of who you are. Help us to believe what we've heard today. Help us to seek your kingdom first, to seek your righteousness first, to trust that you will provide for everything else, that you will lead us and guide us. Please, Lord, strengthen our faith in you, strengthen our love for you, strengthen our love for our neighbor, strengthen our love for our enemies. I ask that you would watch over Liz, that you would guide the doctors, that you would bring healing to her body, but guide the doctors in a plan for her, that you would watch over Scott and Pam, that you would just bring, you would do a miracle in Pam's life, that you would bring healing to her body. Lord, I ask you to watch over Kathy, that you would give the doctors wisdom and guidance, 
Watch over Christina and her heart. Give the doctors wisdom and guidance. Watch over Joey. Um, guide the doctors in their treatment plan for his knee. Watch over the Coffee family. Grant them patience, peace, wisdom, forgiveness. Um, Lord, we pray for those going through the PTSD, EMDR counseling. Grant them the wisdom and patience to see it through to the end. Bring healing to those who are seeking it. I ask that you would watch over Ming, that you would give him strength and guidance and patience, that you would watch over each of us, that you would speak to us, that you would give each of us the words that you want us to speak this week. Guide us in our friendships and in fellowship. Help us to encourage each other in love and in good deeds. Watch over the sheriff's department and the police department. Protect them physically. Protect them spiritually. I ask that you would watch over and continue to bring comfort to Greg's family. You would watch over our school, that you would lead it and guide it, and that you would lead us to a church to support in Sudan or in Uganda. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.